seat. Church, my name is Justin. I have the privilege of serving as the pastor of care here at City Light Bennington. So glad to be with all of you this morning. I hope you all had a great Thanksgiving, had good times with family, friends, loved ones, ate a lot of good food. I know I ate way too much myself. Uh, pants are fitting a little bit tighter today. Um, but I wanted to start by asking how many of you, I'm sure many of you traveled as Jayla and I did, and you kind of go to Thanksgiving. And there's that one kind of family relative that you haven't seen in a while, and that's not like always a bad thing that you haven't seen them in a while. And they kind of walk in the door and like, all right, here we go. I'm strapping in, and the next few hours are going to be a little rough. And you just always kind of happen to find yourself in another room than them, and that seems a little bit uh, um, maybe intentional. Um, how many of you would say you have relatives like that? You don't have to. Oh, all right, we got five honest people in the room. Awesome. All right, and on the flip side of that question, how many of you would say that you have those other relatives that you haven't seen in a while? And you can't wait to see them. Like, as soon as they walk through the door, like, all right, we're going. Yeah, totally get that. And these are the people where you intentionally place yourself and kind of position yourself around them, right? You want to be in the same room with them. You want to be in on that conversation with them. I know for our family, Jayla and I got to go up to Thanksgiving uh, this year to Norfolk, see her dad's side. And that person for us is by far, hands down, Grandma Jenny. Grandma Jenny is, uh, she's the goat. Uh, she is originally from England. She has this sweet, like, British accent. It's kind of like street, though. I don't know, I didn't know that, like, like England had, like, a street version of, like, British accent. Um, she loves MMA fights. She'll watch all of them. Uh, she usually dominates in every fantasy football league. Um, she's just amazing. She's so fun. And oh, she's kind of elusive, though. So we'll go there, and we're not always sure where she's at. Like, suddenly she's in the kitchen, and then next thing you know, she's downstairs, like, asleep. And you just don't know where she's, where she's at. And so you kind of have to intentionally seek her out and make sure that you position yourself around her. And it's so worth it. It may be extra work, but it's always worthwhile. And we did that this last Thanksgiving. Uh, me and Jayla and a bunch of the kids, we, we intentionally positioned ourselves around Grandma Jenny the whole time. We played a bunch of games, which she destroyed us all in. And it was so fun. And the reason I share this story about Grandma Jenny is because I think when we look at the person of God, like, like actually remembering, God is not this idea, he is not some list of rules or some spiritual higher being that we can't know personally, he is a person, a person who has revealed himself to us through the person and finished work of Jesus. And as we get to know God as a person, I think many of us can struggle to enjoy God as a person. And, and I don't think it's because he's elusive like Grandma Jenny. I don't think he's because he's always hiding himself or likes to keep himself from us. I think it's because, rather, we don't position ourselves near him. And, and so I want us to look at the idea of God's presence. This morning is the last sermon we'll wrap up in a Church After God's Own Heart series. For the last handful of months, we've looked at all the things that we as pastors have had a burden, that CLB would be a church after God's own heart, that we would love the things that God loves. We would delight in the things God delights in. And I think if we were to do all of this, and we wouldn't get today's topic of living and loving God's presence, then I think we're going to put the cart before the horse. I think if we can nail down this one issue, if we can get this right and learn to actually abide and love and live in God's presence all the days of our life, 
I think all the rest of the things we've preached on thus far will fall into place. And I want to argue that through the story as we look at a man in the story of the Bible who loved and lived in the presence of God. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and turn with me Exodus 33. A familiar maybe story to you, you know Moses and the Israelites. And a little context as you're turning there. Exodus 33, um, I'll have NLT for Roy so he can follow along. Uh, I know when I read ESV, he thinks I'm reading King James, but I'm not. Uh, So Exodus 33, a little context here for this passage. What just happened, again, there's been this mass exodus that God has delivered his people, the Israelites, from the land of Egypt. And he's released them and freed them from slavery. And what happens as soon as the Israelites get going and start following God, they realize that God doesn't always do things in their timing. And so they get all bent out of shape. And in the first moment and sign of, oh, no, it's not in our timing, they build this golden calf. Moses is off speaking with God, getting commands how to follow and live with him. And the people, Aaron, leads them to build this golden calf, this false idol, this false god that they all begin to bow down and worship. And God sees this, and because of this breach of covenant, God has every right to destroy them. He says, you did not keep up your side of the deal, and therefore I am released to not have to keep mine, but God does. And what happens is God, Moses intercedes for the people of Israel and says, God, please don't destroy them. You've released us. You've just freed them. Like This is why you've freed us, to, to know you and to walk with you. Don't destroy them, and God doesn't. And so what happens here is God shows mercy. But now what happens is, as now God has spared them, he is saying, here's the new marching order. So in Exodus 33, we'll start in verse 1. It said, the Lord said to Moses, get going, you and the people you brought up from the land of Egypt. Go up to the land I swore to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I told them, I will give this land to your descendants, and I will send an angel before you to drive out the Canaanites, Amorites, Hittites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. Go up to this land that flows with milk and honey. But I will not travel among you, for you are a stubborn and rebellious people. If I did, I would surely destroy you along the way. We got some nice, positive, encouraging love for you this morning. Thanksgiving (laughs) Sunday. Glad to see you if you're new here this morning. Uh, But no, I do actually want us to show that God is so merciful and kind in this. First three things I want to see observation from this. First, like I said, he doesn't destroy the Israelites, right? They have breached the covenant, and just like any time a deal is broken, the other person is no longer obligated to keep up their side. But God does anyway. He shows mercy and says, okay, first of all, I won't destroy you. Number two, he says, I will still give you the promised land. The the land that I promised, flowing with milk and honey, that I promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Though you have no longer earned this or deserved this because of your breach in covenant, but yet I will still give you it. So he says, go up still. I'm still going to give you this land. Number three, God's mercy is shown. He still doesn't completely abandon them. But listen, here's the thing. There's one caveat that's major here. If we look in verse two, it says, and I will send an angel before you. But verse three says, but I will not travel among you. So remember, up to this point, the Israelites, there was a pillar of cloud by day, a pillar of fire by night to represent the presence of God that was in the midst, right among God's people, leading them personally in a close, intimate way. And God says, no longer will that be the case for you. You've lost that with me now. 
because of your rebellion, because of your bowing down to a God that is not me, what will now happen is I will go before you. I will send an angel before you. I'll still clear a path. I'll still take care of your enemies. But no longer will I be in the midst of you. And so this goes to the first point to show us God's heart, that God wants closeness. God wants closeness with us. And this is really just a test if we would look at this. God is saying, okay, here's the new proposal. Because of your acts of rebellion, I'm going to have these new terms. And my presence will not be among you anymore. And he's waiting to see what his people, how they will respond. He's waiting to see, okay, if my people are okay with this, then clearly all they've ever wanted was the promised land. They didn't care about me. They just wanted the gift, not the giver. And God doesn't want that. They would fail the test if they decide to answer that way. But if they pass the test, the right way to respond is to say, God, no, we can't. The idea is too painful for us to not have you with us like that anymore. The idea of you not being among us, the idea of you just somehow leading us ahead of us somehow, there's no way, God, we're not going to do that. That's the right way to respond, and what happens is they pass the test. If we read on in verse 4, it says, When the people heard these stern words, they went into mourning and stopped wearing their jewelry and fine clothes. For the Lord had told Moses to tell them, You are a stubborn and rebellious people. If I were to travel with you for even a moment, I would destroy you. Remove your jewelry and fine clothes while I decide what to do with you. So from the time they left Mount Sinai, the Israelites wore no more jewelry or fine clothes. So what happens is the people are dressed in all of these ornaments, all of these kind of religious clothing, and God is saying, no, I don't, I don't want the lip service. I don't want you to just talk the talk. I want you to walk the walk. This is not a time to celebrate and show off all your prosperity. This is a time to mourn and to take the gold that you had melted down to that golden calf and bring it back to my altar. It is the time to surrender. It is the time to return. And this is exactly what they do. They, they weep. They mourn. They realize, God, we have been disobedient. We have been unfaithful. We have truly loved other things more than you, and we're coming back to you now. And I think if we would look into our own hearts, there's so many of those things, the fine jewelry and the clothes that God is telling, it's time to shed those this morning. It's time to take whatever is stopping you from abiding and dwelling in my presence, whatever is more important to you than me dwelling right next to you, then it's time to take that off. Maybe that's the distractions in your life that are just consuming your thought life. It's all the, the work that you have to do around the house. It's all the, the chores and the tasks of your life and your work. It's all the things that are consuming your life with parenting or trying to make your marriage work. All those things, good things. God is saying, you're not even focused on my presence anymore. You're doing all of them without me. And, and do you really want to just have me go before you? Like, I think we can treat Christianity sometimes it's like, just give me the right curriculum. Give me more rooted curriculum. Give me more alpha. Give me more study guides. Give me the ESV study Bible. Just give me more things to do and to study and to check off the list as God just kind of goes before me. Give me the, the rules and the spiritual disciplines and spiritual habits that I need to follow, and then I'll be a follower of Jesus. Jesus. 
And God will somehow just make a path for me. He'll trailblaze ahead of me a little bit. And I'm content with that. I'm good if, if God just kind of leads me like that and just gives me the marching orders I follow in step. And God says that's never how it was meant to be. Do we remember in the garden that God created Adam and Eve and it says he walked with them? Do we realize that any time there was a, a intimacy between a human and God that throughout the Bible there are terms that, like Enoch, he walked with God. Right? There's this idea, Adam and Eve walked with God. There was a closeness, an intimacy to say, God, this is how you designed us. We were not meant to follow you from afar. We were meant to walk with you side by side. We're not meant to just give marching orders and a list of rules and traditions to follow. God says, if you do all those things and you've missed out on my presence, you've missed the whole point of all of it. And so as we look at this first point, that God wants closeness with us. And yet we're going to see that Moses is not content. Moses will continue to go on the string of petitions to say, God, I will not let you go until I have all of you. I will not settle for anything less than all of you, God. And I think that is the heart that God is so pleased in. As we look at God's response, let's continue the story. Moses will continue to petition as he is not yet satisfied with this new proposal from God. He says, read on in verse 7. It was Moses' practice to take the tent of meeting and set it up some distance from the camp. Everyone who wanted to make a request of the Lord would go to the tent of meeting outside the camp. Whenever Moses went out to the tent of meeting, all the people would get up and stand in the entrances of their own tents. They would all watch Moses until he disappeared inside. As he went into the tent, the pillar of cloud would come down and hover at its entrance while the Lord spoke with Moses. When the people saw the cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, they would stand and bow down in front of their own tents. Inside the tent of meeting, the Lord would speak to Moses. This is incredible. He would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. Let that sit in and like, I want to be like Moses. Anybody else want to speak to God? Like you would be able to just speak to a friend freely, comfortably, in a familiar way that just is so knee-jerk reaction to say, God, of course I would go to you. And this goes to our second point that not only does God want closeness, but he wants us to set up our tents. And obviously, I'm not talking about an actual physical. You don't need to go to Cabela's after this. I'm, I'm saying, look at this passage. Moses does something that wasn't commanded by God. Originally, he was just told on the mountain, say, hey, go make this tabernacle. But because the tabernacle is not finished yet, Moses takes his own tent. And he says, I'm going to take it, my own tent. I'm going to go outside the camp of the Israelites. And I'm going to meet with you there, God. And God, I'm, I'm hoping that you will meet me in there. And if we look at God's response, he does. And he speaks to Moses like a friend. And so some couple observations. First of all, we see two different types of people here. We see Moses, and it says that this was for anyone who wanted to meet with God outside the camp. And Moses sets up his own tent to say, anyone who wants to go with me can go. You can go in that tent and meet with God face to face, right? There's this open invitation to meet with God. And there's the other people, it says in the story, that 
they would just watch. They would get into the entrances of their own tent, they'd peek out, and they'd watch Moses go in. And as soon as they saw the pillar of cloud lower, they would fall down and worship. Now, first, we need to understand that both types of people are, are God's people. They are both loved by God. They are both types of people are entering into the promised land, but there is a distinction. There are the people who actually meet with God face to face, and there were those who will watch from afar. And the question for us this morning, friends, I want to encourage all of us and invite us, because the invitation, friends, if we know the story of the gospel, the good news is that the veil has been torn. The work has been finished, that there is no dividing wall of hostility between us and God any longer, that the blood of Jesus can forgive sins and make us righteous to enter into the presence of a righteous God. And it is by simple repentance and faith in Jesus to say, Jesus, run my life, save me. I want to be with you. But lest we forget, friends, that the end goal of the gospel is not merely as fantastic and wonderful it is, the end goal of the gospel is not merely the forgiveness of sins. The end goal, if we remember, we're told by Paul that we have been given a ministry of reconciliation. Meaning that one of the highest goals, the end goal of the gospel is not forgiveness of sins, but rather the forgiveness of sins is the entry point to be reconciled to God, to live and enjoy him, to be friends with him, to enjoy partnership with him. That's the end goal of the gospel is to be reconciled to God in a way that God now becomes our friend. That's not just a cheesy hymn. Jesus is our friend. What a friend we have in Jesus. That hymn should amaze us every time we get to sing that. And so the goal here as we look at this is which person will you be? Will you be the person who enjoys friendship with God face to face and goes in to meet in those secret places, the tent of meeting? Or will you be the person who watches from afar? Maybe these are the people who they, you come on Sunday, you hope to get a really good message, you hope to get some good songs, and you pack it in for the week and call it good. You're the person who lives kind of vicariously through your spouse or uh, that neighbor or that person in your Bible study, and they always have a good thing to share with the group, and, and you kind of just hang on to that, but you don't think God could ever speak to you in that way. You kind of just keep watching from afar. And God is saying, you don't have to keep watching from afar. You can enter in. And I want you in there with me. Would you come? God wants closeness and God wants us to set up our tents. And what does this look like? It doesn't necessarily just mean that every time you plop open your Bible, that's where God meets you, right? I don't think necessarily that the tent of meeting is where we open our Bibles for our hearts. I think it's where God opens our hearts to his Bible. I think it's where God opens us to receive from him. And whether that's through reading the scriptures, yes and amen, do that every morning. It's the best part of my day. But it's also the times where God meets you in the supermarket. And he speaks to you and he gives you a word or a download for someone else to love on them. It's when God meets you in the office and says, you ought to share your faith with that person because you have no idea what they're going through. It is those moments where God meets us and God says, it is time to pick up your tent and pitch it anywhere you go. And say, learn to live in the tent. And any time you're outside of the tent, you will begin to flail around just like the Israelites. You will be tempted to build your golden calves, but if you stay in the tent, you'll be safe. 
Learn to live in the tent, God says. That's the goal, the closeness, that idea that anytime I'll tell you when I'm outside of the tent, I worry about finances. I'm a planner. I'm always with Jayla saying how, okay, we need to budget this, 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 and I get overwhelmed with all the numbers in my head. But when I go into the tent, Jehovah Jireh meets me. And he says, what are you worried about? Seek first the kingdom. Seek first the kingdom, son. Everything else will be given. When I'm stressed out on anything else in life and I'm outside the tent, God says, go back into the tent. Get back your peace. Get back your contentment. Get back your rest. Get back your joy. Just meet me in the tent. You have to learn to live in the tent. And it's not easy. It doesn't happen overnight. But it's daily making a conscious awareness. Say, God, I'm going to meet you there. And like I said, this isn't necessarily a physical place. It's the place where if someone asked you, where is the secret tent of meeting that you meet God? You say, I, I don't know how to explain it. I just meet him there. He just meets me. And all of my emotions can flood out there. All of my thoughts, all of my worries, all of my cares, I can just cast on him there. I don't know how to explain it. It's just where he meets me. Just like Moses, it wasn't because he called it the tent of meeting that God met him there. It was because Moses had the heart that says, I'm going to seek you with all of my heart. And just like Jeremiah 29, seek me and you will find me when you search for me with all of your heart. We will seek God and find him when we search for him with all of our hearts. And that's where he will meet us, in that secret tent of meeting. And just to maybe even give a silly illustration, but I I like to think of Jesus' baptism. If you're the person who's like, well, how do I become more aware of God's presence? I I want that, but it's really hard. When you get caught up in a task, you know, I'm just like the person who's like, oh, squirrel over there, right? You have just like, I'm all over the place. Okay, so imagine we see Jesus at his baptism, this beautiful Trinitarian picture. God the Father parts the clouds open, says, this is my son, my beloved son, in whom I am well pleased. And it says the Holy Spirit falls on him like a dove. So here's Jesus, the son, the Father's pleased, the Spirit is landed on him like a dove. Now imagine if I have this dove, and I'm Jesus, right? We don't really have any recording to know if that dove continues to stay in that form, if the Holy Spirit is like a dove on him, the rest of his earthly ministry or not. But I, I would like to imagine if Jesus was walking around with this dove on his shoulder, what would it look like for us to know that we as believers have the Holy Spirit? What if we were to imagine if the Holy Spirit was the form of a dove on our shoulder and we began to walk our lives How would you walk if you had a dove on your shoulder? I think one word puts it well, carefully. I think you would be aware that every movement, everywhere you go, everything your eyes see, everything your hands touch, every word you speak, he's right there, that God is with you. He is there, and you must walk carefully. You must walk in awareness that God is with me, God is for me. Everywhere I go, in the office, in the workplace, before I speak to my spouse, before I parent my child, before I send that email, before I send that mean text, anything I do, I know that I need to walk carefully because God is with me. God is upon me. And it is the very presence of God that would keep me from doing anything that would grieve his presence because I'm aware of him that much more. So as we go on with the story, that's just to help you if you want to visualize that, right? That sometimes that God even is creative enough to help us with our imaginations, right? If it needs to start there until imagination becomes reality, 
until you are so convinced that you know that you know that you know that you believe that you believe that God is with you. Do whatever it takes to usher in his presence into your life and be more aware of him. As we look at this point that Moses is just getting started in verse 12, he says, one day Moses said to the Lord, he's in the tent of meeting, you have been telling me, take these people up to the promised land, but you haven't told me whom you will send with me. You have told me I know you by name and I look favorably on you. You see, Moses is still not content. He's looking at God and saying, hey, listen, I know you say this angel of the Lord is going to go before us, but I need to know for sure that that's you. I need to make sure that we're going to be as close to you as possible. And Moses continues on in verse 13 saying, if it is true that you look favorably on me, let me know your ways so I may understand you more fully and continue to enjoy your favor. And remember that this nation is your very own people. Look at God's response. The Lord replied, I will personally go with you, Moses, and I will give you a rest. Everything will be fine for you. I, I look at that and I'm just like, who doesn't want to hear that from God personally? I will go with you personally. I will give you rest and everything will be fine for you. Now, I wonder how many experiences like that God is willing to give to us if we would but position ourselves near him. One commentator says that Moses is obsessed with God. I want to be obsessed with God. I want every thought that goes through my mind to have to filter through my first thought of God. I don't want to do one thing. I don't want to say one thing. I don't want to let one thought turn into anything more without having to be filtered through first thinking of God. I want him to be so at the forefront of my mind, so weighty in my heart, that nothing gets by without having to go through him first. And that's what that Moses shows us. Look at his prayer to God. Let me know your ways so may I may understand you more fully and continue to enjoy your favor. He's saying that in all of this, God, I know that you know me, but I want to know you. He's saying that, God, I will not be content in this life until your thoughts become my thoughts and your heart becomes my heart until what you love becomes what I love and what you're obsessed about, God, is what I'm obsessed about. I will, I will not stop until that's what's true of me. I must know your ways, God, so that I can know you more fully. And you can guess that Moses still ain't done. He goes on in verse 15 through 17. He says, then Moses said, if you don't personally go with us, don't make us leave this place. How will anyone know that you look favorably on me, on me and on your people, if you don't go with us? For your presence among us sets your people and me apart from all other people on the earth. The Lord replied to Moses, I will indeed do what you have asked, for I look favorably on you, and I know you by name. First of all, we need to understand that God does not have favorites, but God does give favor. God does not have favorites, but he is so eager to give favor. 
We're told throughout Scripture that he gives favor, grace to the humble, but he opposes the proud. Meaning if this morning you're here thinking that you can save yourself, if you think that you can be good enough, if you think that you can run your life in a way that would be better than God running it, God says he opposes you. He is not willing to give you favor. But if you would humble yourself, if you would come before him in a posture of humility to say, God, I'm at my wit's end. I've tried to live my life all kinds of ways and nothing is quite satisfied in the way that I know something about your presence can. And I'm coming to you humbly asking that you would forgive me my sins. Forgive me those rebellious ways that I've ran from you and turned from you time and time again. And I'm asking for the grace that would bring me back and reconcile me towards you. And he would do that. We also need to see that Moses... His response is just so, it's so honest. And I think that's what I love about Moses, just being able to speak freely to God like a friend. He says, if you don't personally go with us, don't make us leave this place. Basically, one commentator kind of says, it's, he's almost like rude in his approach to God, but it's honest. And I, I think that's what God blesses. Basically saying that God, with all due respect, don't even bother taking us anywhere unless you're there with us. Don't lead us anywhere unless your presence is with us. Because, God, we've tasted and seen your goodness. And the sweetness we have with you is far sweeter than, a milk, than milk and honey. And we don't want any land unless you're there with us. Because paradise is where you are. Heaven is where your presence dwells, God, and, and we'll stay with you. And he also says that don't you know, God, that how will anyone look favorably on us if your presence doesn't go with us? He's saying, God, don't you see that the only thing that sets us apart from any human being on earth is your presence? And I think, church, that's, I want that to be true of us. I, I, I want us to be able to say that there's nothing that sets us apart from anyone on earth except the presence of God. I don't want it to be because, oh, we don't curse as much. Uh, we seem to be more happy to serve. Uh, we seem to be really good at kind of having this weird Christian community with each other and, and Bible study and fellowship, and we have city groups and huddles, all these things and all this list of spiritual habits. And what happens is the presence of God is nowhere to be felt. Nowhere to be seen, nowhere to be experienced. That, you know, my greatest fear for CLB is not that we would succeed in the sense that we would get the building, we would grow in numbers, we do all that. My greatest fear is that all of that would happen and God's presence is nowhere to be felt. That someone would walk into a worship experience, someone would listen to a sermon or listen to a worship song and they would say, I, I, that was great, I agree with everything. I, I don't know where God was in that. And I want that to be true of all of us. I want that to be true of me. I hope that when you encounter me, you say, the thing that's different about Justin is not that he's just kind of nice and happy-go-lucky. But every time I'm with him, I experience a taste of what it's like to be in that tent. That I'm in the presence of God when I'm with him. And I want that to be true of all of us. I want that to be so true of me. As we look at the last response here in our story, verses 18 through 23, Moses makes one last request. He responded, then show me your glorious presence. 
And the Lord replied, look at this response. I will make all my goodness pass before you, and I will call out my name, Yahweh, before you. For I will show mercy to anyone I choose, and I will show compassion to anyone I choose. But you may not look directly at my face, for no one may see me and live. The Lord continued, look, stand near on this rock. As my glorious presence passes by, I will hide you in the crevice of the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will remove my hand and let you see me from behind, but my face will not be seen. Moses finally gets what he's wanted all along, and it's to see God. Moses had in mind this whole time, I must get as possibly close to God as I can. Now, how many of us have that mindset? How many of us, when we go to times of Bible study, how many times do we go in prayer or praying and fasting and interceding? All, again, wonderful things. But how many of us are like Moses with the motivation to say, the reason I'm doing this is to get as much of God as I possibly can. As much as his presence as I possibly can gather in my arms. As much as my heart can have capacity for. That is what I want. And I will not let you go, God, until I get that. That's what Moses does. And he finally gets it. And God says, okay, listen, here's what's going to happen. Because I'm so holy that no one can actually see me and live. So what I'm going to do, I'm going to put you in this cleft of the rock. I'm going to take my hand and cover you, and I'm going to pass by you. You're not even going to see me, but you're going to see the goodness pass behind me. And that was enough for Moses. Just to see the goodness of God pass before his eyes. And Moses asks nothing more. Finally content. This is the question that all of us need to ask. Is that our heart posture towards God? Are we living to see the goodness of God? Hosea 6.3 says it well. It says, oh, that we might know the Lord. Let us press on to know him. He will respond to us as surely as the arrival of dawn or the coming of rains in early spring, saying that if you seek me, you will find me. I will respond to you. I will show myself to you if you would seek me and search for me with all your heart. And know that when you meet him there, through the blood of Jesus, we have complete friendship with God. Meaning that you can be honest with him. I've met with God a lot in this tent this last week, as I'm sure many of you have. Sometimes I haven't had any words but tears. Sometimes nothing but screaming and yelling and throwing a tantrum because I don't understand why there's so much pain and suffering and loss and grief in this world. It is a time where you can meet with God in an honest, vulnerable way. And God will meet you there every time. I've met with him as I've mourned the loss of Cliff Tulsi. And God has met me in that tent to say, Justin, Cliff is not dead. He is more alive than he's ever been. And if only you could see what he's seeing right now. Oh, how your mourning would turn to joy. Oh, how you would remember that you're not far off from being in the same place that he is. That this life is a vapor's breath. And all of us will be with Cliff. All of us will be with Christ face to face. And you will see me and enjoy the fullness of joy in my presence. In the right hand, pleasures forevermore. But it's in those places where I have to go low and meet with God in that tent. 
Because when I'm not, all I want to do is bawl my eyes out. Grief is a good and right feeling, but God wants to meet us in the grief. He wants to meet us in the midst of our pain. And his grace, he shows us time and time again, is sufficient, even for the worst and the best days. And it is being like Moses and like Jacob. The stories of men who wrestled with God. I love Jacob in Genesis 33, just a book back. He's wrestling with God. And you know the amazing thing that Jacob wrestles with God and he wins. Like anyone else have that on the resume? You wrestle with God and you won. But you know what he said before he won? He said, God, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And that's the wrestling that God honors. He says, wrestle with me. Say, I will not let you go unless you bless me, God. I will not let you go. I will not leave your presence until your presence feels sweet to me again. I I will not let you go, God, until my heart grows warm towards you again. I will not leave your presence, God, until I can trust your goodness again in my heart, until I feel that, until that bubbles up into the stream from your love and kindness in my life again, until I feel that. I won't, I'm not going anywhere. So many passages, and I'm wrapping up here. Psalm 90. Same Moses who experienced all of this wrote this beautiful psalm. Psalm 90 and verse 14. I'll just read this one verse. It says, Satisfy us in the morning with your unfailing love, that we may sing for joy and be glad all our days. Psalm 16, 11. The psalmist says that in your presence there is fullness of joy and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Psalm 73, 25 says that whom have I in heaven but you? And on earth there is nothing I desire besides you. Do we get the picture? Do we see what God wants us to want more than anything? It is his presence. It is his presence. And I think may not agree with me, but I, I think that we will never be satisfied until we are satisfied in the presence of God. We will never be satisfied in the presence of anyone or anything else until we are satisfied in the presence of God. And so I want to close because I think the core foundational question in all of this, right? I, I could give you all of these practical things to do to experience and, and be more aware of God's presence. I've done some of that. But the core foundational question as I wrap up is the question that Jesus asks his disciple Peter after he had betrayed him, excuse me, rejected him three times. And it's the question, do you love me? Do you love me? Because if you love me, you'll, you'll come away with me. You'll spend time with me. And I think if we were to go around and if Jesus were to descend from heaven in bodily form and go down the row of each chair in this room and face us, one-on-one, and say, do you love me? I think we hear a lot of beautiful answers. I think we would hear a lot of different answers, and I think we hear answers maybe like this even. Well, Jesus, I love reading my Bible. I love studying. I love exegeting. I love learning. I love all of that when it comes to following you. And Jesus says, wonderful, do you love me? He says, well, well, Jesus, I love your spiritual gifts, and I love pursuing, practicing. I love witnessing them. 
I love praying, I love fasting, I love interceding on behalf of others. And Jesus says, wonderful, do you love me? Well, I love my city group. I love the community and the fellowship that we kind of have at this kind of church plant where it's a smaller group of people. I love serving and volunteering. I love coming on a Sunday and hearing the sermons and the songs. Jesus says, again, wonderful, not the question I asked. Do you love And it's a question that I can't answer for you. It's a question that no one can answer for you. It's a question that you will have to meet in that tent with him face to face. And you will have to answer yourself. Do you love him? It's a conversation between you and him. And I want to invite you. I want to encourage you. I don't want to discourage you. I don't want this to feel heavy. I want this to be an invitation. Will you truly float out of here excited to meet in the presence of God knowing that the veil has been torn, that there is nothing keeping you but yourself? And remember that in all of this, we love because he first loved us. Remember that as you approach him, God loves your presence. Psalm 18 says that he rescued me because he delighted in me. Born again believer, do you know that God delights in you? Psalm 139 says that he has more precious thoughts of you than there are grains of sand on the entire earth. Like, take, take a grain of sand. Like, take a handful of sand. You know how many grains are in one handful? Now take all the sand that covers the ocean floor and all of the land. And God says, I have more precious thoughts of you than all of those combined. Do, do you know, like, would you be overwhelmed if you met with God and experienced his love for you? It's just, are you willing to meet there? Or are you willing to learn to live in the tent and take him Usher him, host him, enjoy him everywhere you go. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that your presence is here with us right now through your spirit. Jesus, I thank you that your presence is felt right now through your spirit. And Holy Spirit, we thank you that you are here with us now. Would you empty us of all the fine jewelry and clothing that is keeping us from remembering your presence? Would you take away all of the distractions, all of the excuses, all of the senseless, worthless, valueless excuses and reasons why we would not approach our creator and the lover of our souls, our savior and our good king? Spirit, would you fill us afresh with an awareness of your presence and a love for you, God, that motivates everything we do. That it wouldn't just be because we want to follow a list and follow you from afar, but we want to walk with you side by side. Would you make us that kind of people that whenever someone encounters us, they get to encounter the very presence of God. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.